When you write a melody for a very complex song, like a song, we wrote a song about divorce um, when Abby's mom and dad, she was talking about them being divorced and having big feelings about it. Uh, the song was called Big, big Feelings. Your melody has to be a child's melody. So they have to be able to sing it because if they're thinking about it, it's like when a child dreams or plays, how they're playing the, they're playing simply, but they're playing because they're having such big feelings. So the melody has to be a kid's melody, but the things behind it um, project the feelings that you really want you know, the, the feelings, the real things. Um, and so when you have a complex song, it's important to like empathize with the child, what they're actually feeling, those feelings they don't have words for, and they don't even maybe know they're having like sometimes. Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Leah Roseman. There's such a fascinating variety to a life in music. This series features wonderful musicians worldwide with in-depth conversations and great music. Today's guest is the Emmy-winning songwriter, singer, and producer, Kat Rayo Rendy. Together with her husband, J.P. Rendy, she has a successful songwriting and production company, Earworm Music Company. This episode is a fascinating window into the world of music for children's TV shows, jingles, working with celebrities, and music production in general. Kat's infectious delight in music, composition, and singing, as well as her personal story and perspectives as a parent, will fascinate listeners everywhere. Like all my episodes, you can listen to this on your favorite podcast player, watch the video on YouTube, read the transcript, and navigate with the timestamps. Please sign up for my weekly newsletter at leahroseman.com and consider supporting this independent podcast with a few dollars. The links are in the description of the episode. Hi, Kat. Thanks so much for joining me here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So there's there's so much to talk about with your worm company and your background, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about JP. But I thought it'd be fun to start with a couple of your beautiful Sesame Street projects that I found so inspiring. So you wrote this song that was awarded an Emmy uh, for Billy Porter. So can you talk about that project? Yeah, um, Billy Porter has been a big influence of mine for a long time. Uh, so when we got the call for the song, I was so excited. I'm like, I'm on this right now. Um, I have been a fan of his since probably Love's on the Way, which he sang for the First Wives Club as a demo for Celine Dion's Love is on the Way. Um, And then it became, his version became so big and, and he hit all the notes that Celine hit. Like I had heard her version first. And then um, my uh, songwriter friend, Peter Zizzo, showed it to me. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And he was like, yeah, she sang his riffs when she did the cover of it. She sang wow. everything he did. And, and, and all those high notes, with the exception of the key change, everything else was like his notes. So I became a super fan of his. And um, when we got the call to do a song for him, I was like so excited. And I jumped right in and I'm like, I know what, I know what we're going to do. And Sesame Street has a really good research department where we don't write the lyrics most of the time because it goes through such educational um, research department. Uh, the research department makes sure that every lyric in there is accurate, whether it's um, a scientific or psychological or 
um, developmental, everything is screened. So most of the time there's a, a, a lyricist. So Ken Scarborough just did the lyrics for the song. And we were like, we have to make this a Billy Porter song, a song that he can sink his teeth into. And so, um, you know, when, as a songwriter, you just close your eyes and you try to become them as a, as a writer, um, respectfully, of course. And so we took, you know, his latest album, um, and just went for it. And when he sang it and he put his all into it, um, and it came back, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is just amazing. We wrote his style chords and his style instrumentation. Um, and it was this beautiful song about inclusion and he wore his Met Gala gown for the, the video and, and it just stood there in all, all his Billy Porter glory with this amazing piece of fashion on. And like, it really was something special, I thought. Mm -hmm. And this was like a new thing for the Emmys to have a kid's sort of section or special yeah. awards. Yeah, it was the first time. It was the Kids and Family Emmys. Mm -hmm. And they, they seem to really focus on diversity in, their, in that Definitely. Mm -hmm. And um, there has been such a gigantic like influx of kids programming, programming in general because of streaming, but kids programming um, where you could, you could focus on a very specific um, like type of character or concept or whatever. Whereas in the past, growing up, I had Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and that was kind of it. I mean, there was a few other things, of course. Um, but because of this just amazing amount of programming, they had their own Emmys. And so there was so much really great, like there were some really good shows that were nominated. Um, Sneakerella, that was a, a really great show um, where it was a little bit Cinderella, but it was, it was based on actual, um, um, I, I believe the person was making sneakers. Mm -hmm. But the songs are amazing. And so there were so many different shows of very specific um, concepts that were included in, in, in the Emmys this year. It was so cool. Mm -hmm. Here's a short audio clip of Billy Porter singing Friends with a Penguin. The original Sesame Street video is linked in the show notes. This song won the Emmy Award for Outstanding Original Song in the 2022 Children's and Family Emmy Awards, composed by Cat Rayo Rendy and J.P. Rendy. I saw somebody I didn't know I felt shy Afraid to say hi I wasn't sure she'd like me then I tried Hi Hi Wanna play tag? Sure, you're it Now I'm friends with a penguin It starts by saying hi Invite someone to play with you You'll have a friend And they'll have one too So give it a try in a lot of ways we both like T-ball and the sky We like taking turns and sharing things And, and both of us can't fly We can't fly Penguins can't fly We both like pizza topped with anchovies We both want puppies Pretty please We both like dancing and guess what Both of us have knees We have knees Well congratulations on that award Thanks <laughs> And there's this beautiful um video you created a song for let's see we don't walk alone i love that was that i think that might be my favorite sesame song we did 
I'm not sure. It was a song about um, violence and the kid walks, the kid's by himself and he's one by one after he, he, after he's talking about how he's feeling alone and sad, one by one visually each character comes into the frame and then all of a sudden like the whole community stands with them, with him and um, we wanted to make the song audit, uh, um, uh, sonically like that as well. So it starts out just him and then all of a sudden the music, you know, the music gets bigger and bigger and bigger and the harmonies get more gigantic and all of a sudden it's this full production whereas it's a very small, uh, almost folk-like song at the beginning. Um, and it was so nice to do that because like most of the time um, JP and I, when we work for Sesame Street, are writing as pop writers, but this time we got to do more of like a theatrical version of our pop songs and like within that genre you can really go back and forth and the beginning the song starts in the beginning as this like unsure there's an un, uh, almost an uncertain key key of the song an uncertain mode an uncertain you know a whole tone like back and forth like I don't know how I feel and then as it gets bigger and bigger it becomes more centered in its key but but also like a little bit more complex in the instrumentation and and in the lush harmonies and stuff and um it be it became this like the 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 you are you are assured by your family and your community that that you literally are not alone you are um, supported and that's how we get by and so that sesame's um recently has been like a big thing like um we we did another one about fathers specifically taking a care of their kids emotionally which a lot of times even though it happens people don't f focus on it shows don't focus on it and they think that uh, many shows recently um have made have shown the fathers emotionally taking care of their kids. Um, and the big takeaway from that is that, that having people, having community is really important growing up. Mm -hmm. Here's a short audio clip of Sesame Street's We Don't Walk Alone, composed by Kat Rayo Rendy and J.P. Rendy. The Sesame Street video is linked in the show notes. Sometimes I feel like I'm all alone just walking by myself just out here on my own but here i am and i'll take your hand i'll walk right by your side and help you understand that you are not alone i'll walk next to you i thought i was just one but now we both are two and we're not alone, you walk here with me. If Elmo walks along with you, together we are three. And we're not alone, we walk hand in hand. We are stronger all together, and now we understand. That we're not alone, there are so many more. If we all walk together, then our group turns into Yeah, that um, video, we you not, uh, sorry, 
yeah, we don't walk alone. I've showed it to quite a few friends and family and every time I, I tear up, like it's so beautiful. And I'll link both of these. Um, anything that we don't include, I'll, I'll try to include in the show notes so people can check them out. Oh, cool. Thanks. Now, you said we could include some music from Baby Shark. Yeah. Um, yeah, we can we can include... Um, there's a few songs that I like. Uh, I really like... Uh, uh, they're all silly songs. They're all, they're, all, they're all fun and silly. And I call them... Uh, I call them neuro spicy because I'm a little neuro spicy, but they're, um, they're, 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 they always describe the songs in the briefs as left of center because they're all like they're... when you listen to a, my little pony and that's fun and exciting in its own way. Um, when they say, when they use the term every pony, it's funny because you know it's it's sweet and funny and 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 and, and it related to its show but when you say every fishy or like everything that relates to fish is just generally so gross like that it creates every time you you know you you talk about the fish world it's funny like we have a lot of like um let me think of what it is um what's that what's that smell it smells like kelperoni um every time you talk about, you know, stinky fish or fish in general. It's just, it's funny. And so the show leans into it. And, um, the, of course the, the baby shark brand is everyone knows baby shark. Um, so we wanted to kind of make the music a little bit, um, number well, obviously keep it catchy, but also have its own personality. And, um, I think, I think do, doing the funny, crazy, version of music with this show was the right way to go <laughs> so we um we did a song we did a few songs that uh, that were really fun one was with cardi b called um seaweed sway where cardi b like baby shark can do things that other shows can't do because it's gigantic number one and number two because it's 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 um a allowed to be its own thing um because it's just a funny show in general. Like you can have Cardi B on it. And when she came on, she like really did it. She like really cared about what she was doing. She, she, she like, she did it right. Like in my opinion, she like really cared. And, um, I know like, of course celebrities care, but you just expect them to like, Oh, it's a kid's show. Mm -hmm. You know, let's, let's do it and move on. But that she like, got into the studio and she when she was on that mic she was on and she cared and she had she recorded her daughter and her and um her husband was on it like it was cool it was really cool so she did that song um a seaweed sway and she was teaching everybody how to like dance like her and be like her and and say like you are who you are and don't apologize for it just be you and do it your own way so that was a really fun song seaweed sway and then um we did some other really fun ones. There was a song at the end of season one um, called Flow On. And um, it was this wild, like, almost Phantom of the Opera style production that the theatrical character Goldie was putting on. And it turned out that the character, um, Hank, who was supposed to play the lead, was so nervous about playing the lead that he sabotaged the whole thing and in the end when when it was time for the song um he was like 
I, I, uh, the first character who became the lead said, this is my chance to have my moment in the sun. This is my chance to be, um, um, this is my chance. My chance. Concessions are for, uh, are for Hank. And then Hank, who is at the concession stand, is giving his concession, his apologies, saying, this is my chance to really say sorry. This is my chance to sell delicious snacks. And it goes on to be this big, it's, it's, it's almost, Similar to um, we we don't walk alone in the sense that it becomes bigger and bigger, but it becomes like celebratory and fun and and all the characters have who have all their motives. They each have this like motive this this lesson that they learned in the show. Like the show will flow on, um, go flow on meaning go on and say what you want to say instead of like holding your feelings and 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 in that way the show has so I, they call it socio emotional. They have they have lessons in the show but they do it so fun mm -hmm. which i really like and are you singing on any of those tracks in baby shark oh yeah yeah i sing all the backup vocals um for our songs in the show and so uh, there's a song where william the, um baby's best friend william who's a pilot fish he he decides that he's going to be you know a big big boy a big fishy now and he wants to become an adult so he asks all the characters in the show um you know, to help him to do what it would take for him to be mature. And so finally he sh reveals himself as Billiam. He's like, I'm not William anymore. And from now on, call me Billiam. And we have this like big rap song. And um, I sing the chorus. I sing like the choir. Like, Billiam, oh, I'm so grown. Um, and uh, I sing that. I sing backups on kind of everything in the show. I mean, all my songs, at least, our songs. Yeah. So when you're writing with JP, so, you know, uh, you guys have a company together, but you're also married and have children. Uh, do you help each other, like with writer's blocks? Do you always apportion the work in a certain way? How do you do that with different projects? Oh, yeah. It has, it has um, refined over the years because in the beginning we used to sit in a room and decide to do the whole thing together and fight every time. Fight. And that's because we're married, right? Like... We we each have a um, we have the same dynamic at home, and not that we fight at home because we actually don't. But um, we have this like I'll because we do the same thing, and because our schedules are crazy and er erratic, and um, you know most of the time we get a song on Monday and, and it's due on Friday, or a song on Friday and it's due the next Friday, or if it's a jingle, the song on Monday, and we need to buy. Wednesday night or Tuesday night even. Um, so JP and I decide who the song is best, decide who's going to take the song first. And um, we, at home, we do the same thing. Like, okay, I'm going to be doing this. So, you know, you do the dishes. You take the kids to school. And, and it's not exact. There's really no, uh, um, there's really no schedule at home so much. Like, you know, he brings the kids to school and he and I pick them up or and we kind of have it. But like dinner, like who knows who's going to make dinner? Who knows? It? And um, we do the same thing in songwriting. So JP will JP and I will look at the song on. Let's say that there's a fr we get it on Friday night and it's due the next Friday. So Friday we'll say, OK, um, you know, you start the song and. A lot of times, for example, with Baby Shark, I'll start the song because um, 
I, that's just how it's happened. That's how it's how it's become over the over the three seasons. Um, so I'll like take it on Friday, dream about it. Somehow there's always a dream. The song always starts with a dream. Um, and in the middle of the night, I wake up, write it down, and then. Um, it's fun. It's like a puzzle. You don't know what's going to start at first. So sometimes like there's a lyric or sometimes there's a, uh, a chorus, a full chorus, like depending on whatever you dream about or whatever, you know, is there. Um, then I'll start it. I'll do as much as I can, uh, as, as much as, as much as makes sense. Sometimes it's the whole song. Sometimes it's, you know, Hey Jay, what's, can you come here and check this out? Like, what is this? Um, and then he'll, if, if I don't do the whole song, he'll take it and he'll say, oh, well, this needs to be truncated. Oh, this needs to be extent, expanded upon. And um, the same thing goes for, for the other songs. But the times that we are together, it, it does work more now than it would, than, than it would in the past. Um, because we'll say, okay, well, this works, but it has to, like I said, it has to be truncated. It has to be expanded upon. It has to be um, more complex. It has to be simpler. And we we have a few projects that like mostly me mostly him but we always kind of touch everything i would say hi just a quick break from the episode i'm an independent podcaster and i really do need my listeners help please consider buying me a coffee the link to my ko-fi page is in the description every dollar helps me cover the costs of this huge project thanks so much do you harmonize after you write melody for the most part um vocally uh well just in terms of the composition like do you do the two of us harmonize no no you mean, like, i mean like, do you write the together? harmonies under the melody oh the harmonies yeah. oh no um if it's a duet and there are and and there are harmonies like we're working on a song for um baby shark right now where it's hank and his dad taking a solo um in the middle of a big a big group number that song i think when it's a duet and there's a lot like there's a I think there's a duets are really interesting for me right now because um I've been doing like deep dives into different duets <laughs> because like a lot of times duets have key changes because the two characters are not meshing um they don't have the exact same range so they can't all be in the same range but um this particular song doesn't and but so I like have them because they're not they don't have the same range hank is kind of up here and and his dad is 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 more of like a tenor so it's so fun to like make their harmonies both melodies as opposed to you know under third under or, or an octave under or something it's so nice for them to you to feel like they're both important um so but generally like if the song is due Friday, Thursday is when all like my background vocals go into it. Um, and if the characters are singing back up as well, their harmonies will go into it. And um, I wrote, I have like their ranges down, but their ranges, you kind of, if you can really like imagine that you're singing as them, you know their ranges and you're, you will make it so that you're, you know, where the placement of the vocal will be their range. Usually. Yeah, it's interesting because you answered a different question that I meant to ask, but it was so much more interesting. So sorry. No, much more interesting than what I was going to ask, which was just about <laughs> chord progressions. But actually, that was leading. What you're talking about leads me. I, I was curious because when you're writing for, let's say, puppets or animated characters, 
often it's one person does several characters, right? So the way they sing those different characters will be different. And you also act as a vocal coach, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, one thing I learned early on as a vocal coach is that the the actor's range is different than the character's range. And whether that it's not because of necessity, although that also plays into it, the necessity is like, the necessity is, is that it, you know, that it won't sound like the character, but also like, if the character is here, for example, um, Kimiko Glenn plays Baby Shark. I'm just, mm-hmm. my mind is on Baby yeah. Shark right now. Um, Kimiko Glenn plays Baby Shark and he's a boy. And so when she goes up here beyond Baby's range, it starts to sound not like Baby mm-hmm. anymore. It starts to sound not just feminine, which is, you know, who cares? But it's, it's, it's out, it, it becomes a different personality. And that's what a great, voice actor will do the a voice actor will have many characters because you know they'll take 10 parts of their voice and say this is this character this is this character and then underneath it starts to like n- not only not sound like baby but also just has like it, it lacks baby's energy and so it's very important to write within their range and they have a meaty range, right? And they have like little, like if they do backgrounds, they could do a little bit more, but you really should stay in, in the middle of a character's range. And then it like makes the song sound 10 times better. Yeah. Now you grew up singing harmony with your family. Mm, yeah. Oh, no, I, I was, uh, my dad and I, and my brother used to sing, <laughs> we used to sing, uh, um, Doobie Brothers songs. And, um, Beach Boy songs as well in the car, like cause he really liked those two bands, and I do too. Um, we would sing in my room. There's a world where I can go and tell my secrets to, um, and like it was cool. And we didn't do it, you know. It wasn't a lesson or anything. We would just my dad liked to sing harmonies and stuff, and I guess like it became. An obs- a little bit of an obsession. <laughs> I loved harmonies and writing crazy harmonies. So I'd like, uh, we grew up um, in a Catholic school and they had a choir. So I would like write for the choir and the choir would be like, we don't do that. <laughs> we, we, the choir director would be like, Catholic music is, is as is and we don't. And it's not like, it's just, it's just a thing that like Catholic music is and it stays generally the same. Um, it, it's not like people... I don't know. Like, I, I know a lot of other religions t- can do, like, versions of things. But I noticed that, at least in my church growing up, they were like, you know, has to stay. Okay, cool. But I wrote this version of, like, you know, We Three Kings or something. And w- it would just be this, like, lots of harmonies kind of thing. And we also did madrigals in high, sc- high school, um, which is full of harmony. And, like, it's so fun to – this is nerdy, but I think it's so much fun to – like lock into what your harmony is and especially with within madrigals like madrigals are like you know here i'm gonna do this while you do this and it's so hard to stay there um but it helped you know but the, i start, i did backup vocals for a lot of artists and i love that i don't know why but it's so much fun to like sync with people yeah so if I understand uh, the progression of your life, so you went back, like you met um, JP at SUNY Purchase, but before you did that degree, you had this career as a backup singer with 
big names and big TV shows. Can you can you describe how that went in your in your motivation? Yeah, um, when I was younger, let me think about this. I met JP um, in college, and in high school, I started. I I I, uh, I fell into this Team Eleven thing where we would we were. Um, on the WB network in New York and like the afternoon you would be listening to Animaniacs or watching, um, what else was on Animaniacs? And there are like two or three other shows that were so that like I watched every day. So when we, when, when there was something in my high school, they're like, just audition for this. Um, I happened to get it. I was not a professional kid, but so I had that and then started, um, I was started by doing demos for songwriters. There was a local studio that had um, Carl Sturkin and, and Nevin Rogers. They wrote God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You. And they wrote, they've discovered Rihanna. Like they, they're, they, they are, they're very, very um, fun. Like uh, um, boy, they wrote for a bunch of boy bands and Christina Aguilera and Britney Spears. And, and so I would do demos for them. And then, um, someone from the record label that they were working on. They're like, I want her on all our demos. So she sent my name out to everybody at, um, I think it was Sony Epic at the time. And so I started singing for all these people and got to like learn how songs came out and learn who was doing what at the time. It was so cool doing that. So when I got to college as a songwriter, um, I hadn't done much songwriting um, outside of my own I hadn't done any professional songwriting. That's what I meant to say. I've written my own stuff. but And so when I met JP, JP he was a, a writer, and I would just sing his demos. Um, and then we started working together. And it was it was a little, it was very hard to col- collaborate. Um, I don't know why. But, like, everyone at SUNY Purchase was also um, songwriters, and there was a lot of, like, folk music and indie music that was coming out, that, out of that. Um, Regina Spector came out of there, and... Um, there's a few other, uh, uh, um, very, very talented songwriters that were there. And so when I got the call to write for Sesame Street, I was like, JP, you need to come in because him and I, like, even though we fought every time we were together, um, every time we would write, it was just because like both of us were really, really confident about these ideas and so jamie would be like no that's you know that's not right we need to do better or or i'd be like this needs to be more xyz and so um but it always worked the best like my my songs were good his songs were good but our songs together were something else really really i think good songs and so um we started writing for sesame street in 2008 and from that point on, everything we did t- was together. Like, I loved n- jingles and doing nerdy things. So I, like, hunted down this um, – I I begged her, uh, this this very talented jingle singer, um, Emily Bendiger, to bring me into the world of jingles. So we started writing jingles, and um, I sang a bunch of them as well. And and it just start, – everything started from there. And then once JP came into the, the, the fold, JP, like, he's a really good – he people person like he and he's a really good business person and he knew to like keep at these people Mm -hmm. and like you know hey we're still available hey we're still around here and because of that um the two of us you know worked really well and we started getting stuff 
by finding it mm-hmm. as well as, you know, being handed things sometimes. Just because like we were the, we were the songwriters that were in town at the time or we were the songwriters that were, you know, around at the time. Yeah. Um, before, that brings up a whole bunch of things. But just in terms of understanding <laughs> your career. So, I mean, you were very busy, like you were singing for The Tonight Show. You were singing for Alicia Keys and like that must have taken so much time. So that was before you started Earworm Company. Yes and no. Um, the Tonight Show specifically was after. Okay. Actually, my uh, I, I, I was seven months pregnant when I did the, my first Tonight Show um, performance. But I mean, a backup performance, sorry. A lot of these things just, I don't know, I don't know how to explain how they happen. I guess it's just like talking to people, um, you know, and I, I, maybe it's just like, you know, how women are always like, I don't know, it just happened. But like, you actually did work for things. I don't know if it was that. I don't know. But I was doing, um, I was recording one of my songs um, before I met JP, but but in this, I was in the same school. And I went to a, an, a professional studio to record a song that... I had written and I was, um, I was, I, I wanted that like a big studio sound, I think. So I went to a studio and at that studio in Connecticut, there was a, um, a uh, musical director and he was recording a jingle. So I was singing and he like in, uh, in the break room, he said, I, uh, yeah, I just came off of, uh, working with Whitney and Michael Jackson. And I'm like, no. Anyway, I, you know, I like, kept eating my lunch and, you know, he kept talking. And I'm like, you know, like these people in a studio in Connecticut, you don't think that they're there. You know, like I, I maybe that's I don't know. So um, he, when he said, hey, I need a single I need a singer for this jingle. Will you will you do it? I'm like, yeah, of course. No problem. So I go in and I record the jingle for him. And then he said, you know, I'm rec- I'm um, I work for David Guest, who is uh, a big concert uh he he has a big concert company and would you um consider singing it and i was like of course like of course so i was you know this 19 year old five foot two white girl and i was with the biggest singers in new york at the time who were singing back up and i, I got there i'm like oh my god it's patey jenkins oh my god it's michael mcelroy oh my god it's it, you know all, all these like gigantic backup singers and it was like the coolest um it was the coolest just to walk into a room with these mega, mega talented people who you knew from Broadway and from from um, just knowing who they were, like hearing talk about them. And so that's I was doing that when I met JP. So the harmonies in those kind of situations, is it all written out or are people? No, oh, okay. no. You know, I was, I was talking with a friend the other day about this. You know, when I was doing it, it was 2003, I think. Um when I was working on that stuff, I assumed that everybody was going to get lead sheets, you know, and, and, um, sometimes we did, of course, like there was a time when my, my Mariah Carey was going to be at Madison Square Garden to do, um, to possibly sing. And we were, he, they were like, here, here's this, you know, here's the sheet music. You got to do your part. You're this, you're second soprano, you're this. But, um, there were also times when about half the time, we just kind of picked our harmonies because these singers are top of their craft. They are, they're musical. They have an ear. And so they would say, since these songs are already well-known and well-recorded, here, listen to this and you take the second harmony. You know, you take the, the, the second soprano, you take this, this. And so by the time we got to rehearsal, we all knew what we were doing. And it really only took a couple of, 
um, a couple of passes to like work out any kinks, you know, in case somebody like went on top of each other's mm -hmm. note. What a wild experience it is to be like 19 and just be like, what? Like, this is what you expect me to do. And also because of like just being a nerd, like thinking that you weren't going to be able to do it, but then you just do it. It's like the best trial by fire thing because, of course, like the new person that comes in, they were like, who is this person and why are they here? You know, like they don't know nobody. Like why? Why? Um, the coolest. It's the most fun. <laughs> it's the most fun you can have, I think. No, the most fun I can have. And so um, there was also one time when we had done at least two rehearsals for each song um, for a, I think it was, it wasn't the Grammys. It was a, another K KTU Miracle on 34th Street concert at Madison Square Garden. And we had a 40-piece orchestra. And they were singing, like, songs that you would hear on the radio, but you're actually just playing them live, which um, is fun. And at the time, there's a lot of artists were just, were, were like, all their songs, a lot of their songs were in the box, right? Like, meaning there, there were um, not a lot of live players mm -hmm. on it. So it was cool to, you know, make those, make those songs... Um, something but anyway on this in this particular show gloria Gaynor, just like the day of the show um came in and she's like instead of doing i will survive i'm gonna do i am what i am i think that's the song or a woman it was something that she just decided to change so the singer was like cool no problem and they just shoot you know and learn their learn their spots learn their parts all of our parts there were f uh five or six of us and like everyone just knew what to do. It was the coolest. It was so fun doing that stuff because um, I don't know. I think there's there's nothing like like immediate. You have to do this right now, or it will sound like crap. Go. I'm trying to wrap my head around. Like, of course, you had a highly developed ear, but when you're listening at that time, when you're first starting to do it, Kat, could you really pick out the second soprano very easily? Yeah, I think at the time. Like right now, songs, there are so many, there are so many layers. And because everybody's in studio, like 2003 was a funny time. And I don't know if it's still like this. I think we'd all be able to do it anyway. But back in 2001 to 2003 or 2004, I think that was like the major time of that band. It was people singing as if they were singing um, live but singing a track. So for example, it was as if you were in a band and you would sing one part, you know, and you would know where it goes. I think now, like even when I write my background vocals, sometimes I write parts that are like jumping in or um, sometimes parts there that, that are stay the same and then they move. So I think anyone, I think that these people could do it now too, but back then you can kind of hear each singer individually. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something, I don't know if everyone I know a lot of people, I have ADHD, and I know a lot, of, a lot of people with ADHD hear the reason that things are confusing for them sometimes, um, at least a big group of us, is that we hear all things that are going on. So you're hearing the buzz of the like cash register or the buzz of the fan, and you're hearing when we're at home, I hear my, both my kids talking and what they're both saying, and... And I hear, you know, what I'm saying, and I kind of hear what the person who's talking to me is saying. But if you hear it, and you could pick each one of those things out at the same time, as a musician, you can kind of pick all the harmonies out, or all the bass lines, or all the, you know, mm -hmm. drum patterns. 
That's really interesting about ADHD because I think often people just think of it as a disability and they don't realize these special talents you might have. I hate to be labeled as a person like a, ADHD is a superpower thing, but I think, I think um, sometimes it can be. And it depends on the person and depends on how they were raised. But um, I think for me personally, it's the problem and the answer. The problem, the problem is that like, if you hear all these things at once, you just like, it's overwhelming. And that's, that's where, that's where everything falls apart. And also like, because you, because everything is catching your ear, the next thing is interesting more than what's right in front of you. So like, if I'm, you know, it's also what, how I think my career works because I work, I don't work in a full album or a full this or that I work in a series where, and I work in multiple series. So like you'll start off writing a quirky baby shark song and then you'll, and then you'll do, you'll move to a highly educational and also musically super, super like what's on the radio right now. Um, or not, just depending on what the song is for Sesame Street. And then we'll move to like Tab Time and Tab Tab Tabitha Brown, who is um, ha- has a really amazing show um, that is almost similar to like I would say Mr. Rogers. She's got a magical personality, and her her show is is a comprehensive lesson each show. Um, hers is like calm music, complex music. Um, and like just emo- super emotional music. So, and then jingles, like jingles are wacky and crazy and everything has to be thrown at you right away. And each part of the 30 seconds that you get has to catch your ear. And, and I think being able, that's what allows us, allows me personally to be able to move from one car- one thing to another. Cause if something isn't working, you move on to the next one and then you move back. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was going to ask you about writing jingles. I know you do a lot of that. And I was curious to do, does JP reflect back to you like, hey, we already wrote that? You know what I mean? Because oh god, all the time. No, not he doesn't. I do. I sometimes I realize like, oh my god, I thought that was so catchy. Sometimes like a melody will be catchy, and I'll think that we wrote it before because I think good melodies sometimes um, feel like you already knew it. But sometimes I'm like, I definitely ripped myself off, but I don't know where. Like, what did we? Where did we? What? what did we rip off? Do we rip off ourselves? Or like, you know, JP will send me something and be like, oh, well, that is happens to be, you know, this melody for something else. But we do check each other. And that's, I think, something that's really important. Um, I used to work for a musicologist named Sandy Wilbur, who was, she was actually the person who did um, the Blurred Lines case with Robin Thicke. There was a gigantic... Um, um, copyright infringement case between um, between Robin Thicke and the Marvin Gaye estate okay. where their song Gotta Give It Up was um, it was such a wild thing because m- copyrighted music you you think of it as music and lyrics and music and lyrics are the proof when you're in a ca- when a, uh, when you're in a copyright case that you intended to sound like this other song. But this case um, in Got to Give It Up, they, the music, the, like the, the lyrics and the melody were not the same, but clearly they were trying to rip it off. And actually there was like a, there was a, a, a um, an article in, 
maybe Variety magazine where they had to prove they he said we wanted to sound like got to give it up by Marvin Gaye and that's why he lost the case mm-hmm. but like you know anyway so we so um having worked with Sandy Wilbur we always know when we are accidentally you know infringing and so writing kids music it's important to sound like like something you would hear on the radio but it can't actually be that although you i think you do get a little bit more leeway because a you know it's kids music like they they're okay like if for example um a song parody that you're writing to sort of sound like a song on purpose mm-hmm. so that the parents would understand you know the par- parents would be like oh yeah that's supposed to be xyz so you're mentioning sandy wilbur the musicologist what work did you do for her I was um, at the, I don't even know how I heard about it. I think it was through somebody at college. Um, I would, I, at the time, she, it was the, in the, the like transition to all digital music. So she had this whole pff, CDs upon CDs upon, she, her job was to know all the music there is out there to know if it was like jingle companies, right, jingle houses would send her their songs and pretty much all of them. Like I, we got so many, and it's also one of the reasons I became obsessed with jingles because I was listening to them all the time. But also like knew, knowing the names of all those companies, I'd be like, "Hey, I want to work for you." Hey, I want to. But um, so she she would get these jingles, and they the companies knew that they wanted to sound like this song, and they would say, "Okay, the reference is this. Is this too close?" And so we would go in and. Um, of course she would know like intrinsically she would know it was or was not but she had to um, you know show it and she would say well this this part is too close Um, and sometimes she would show me like here's the two melodies and their shapes of them on the on the on the sheet music or the lead sheet would go you know they're both going down here and then they're both continuing there was one time we were putting something against um Barry White's Love Unlimited, I think it was called, the Love Unlimited Orchestra. There was like a string, a string section that went. I think you know that song. I just don't remember. Um, The title of it. And we were listening to a pop song that was out there to see if they sampled it. Mm. And she showed it to me visually. You can watch. You can pull out the waveform, and you can see that there are. water not a not an actual like imprinted watermark on purpose although people have been doing that since but like the the you could see that the waveform not only looked like it but when you pulled it apart even the actual waveform was exactly the same and it could be sped up right we had to slow it down we had to pitch it but once you got there those those patterns were all the same and that's how you proved that it was an actual sample so cool wow it's so it was so interesting to work for a musicologist and it was so helpful being in music to know musicology Mm -hmm. very interesting i was just thinking uh your parents uh you and jp and in terms of like looking back on you know you grew up what in the 90s Mm -hmm. so things have changed in terms of um the audience for what you might call all ages shows or people call kids shows because a lot of adults love baby shark and lots of other shows sesame street and 
it used to be that families would watch things together and now we're like the headphone culture. So parents mm-hmm. don't necessarily hear what their kids are listening to or watching, even young children. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I should say, I think half the parents mm-hmm. are watching with the kids um, in a specific, in any specific age. Um, because, for example, uh, my two kids who are six going on seven and um, five, they just turned five. We're watching with them because we know that there's like so much stuff on YouTube that you'll accidentally come across something that is... Ella came across something where like they were burying her mother Mm -hmm. like and it was a kids show but I think it was like from another country that frankly like they just showed more like they were just they 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 talked about more than we I think that we do generally and so if I had known that I would have been able to like you know talk to her about it but that was the last day that we did that Mm -hmm. and um but I think as you get older, like kids are definitely watching more on their um, tablets and, you know, by themselves because everybody gets a screen, right? So you don't need that like family TV. Um, but there, you know, that's interesting because there's also the the explosion of the kids series, right? Which means that like, you know, there's a there's a series if you there's um, I'm thinking of all things that are coming up that I can't talk about, but there are. Um, so many series where you, you know, have something specific and you can watch it, whereas your brother or sister may not want to watch it. They're not interested in that very specific thing. But after all that, right now, right, like at this moment, um, networks and streaming networks are pairing back. So it's actually for some, I think it's mostly because, you know, if you're, if you, you know, spread this much viewership into this many shows, each is only, each is only getting a small viewership, obviously. And I don't think they were making the money that they thought they would be making. So they're actually consolidating it again. And so now we are about to go into a place where um, it's a family show. So it's like for all ages, all children and parents. Um, So I don't know, like, what is going to happen now but in terms of how we write for at the moment for like specific kids shows that's what's so fun about it because not everybody you know not everybody watches um quirky shows or and not everybody watches very emotional shows and like that's what's so fun about being a writer right now i imagine that if you were writing if if all the songs were to sound the same, it would not be nearly as fun. Mm-hmm. And if all this, all the shows were not, you know, were written by the same person, it would not be as fun. So I really enjoy being uh, in the same style, rather. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy writing for different styles. So there's someone in my family who's a huge Pokemon fan. And I, I would be <laughs> remiss if I didn't ask you. So you sang on yes. the Pokemon Rival Destinies theme song. I did. I sang on a couple of them. Okay. I sang that and black black and white um yeah and actually my friends sang my friends jason and katie sang on the original pokemon themes uh theme song um super talented both of them and they're like also gigantic session singers from new york um yeah it's so cool i didn't realize like there are people that contact me um via instagram or via mail i mean email and they're like hey i love this like and i'm like oh my god like how did you know about it but so there's such a big viewership Mm -hmm. 
of Pokemon. And I love it too. Like I I listen to it a lot. We sometimes we do little parodies of that for other shows, okay. which is so fun. <laughs> I love that like dramatic music. Mm-hmm. So even though you guys have a well-established company, you still have to pitch, right? Totally. There's I think we know a bunch of the uh, the songwriters that are out there and we all have to pitch. And I don't know if it's like that for everyone, for every every um I don't know if it's like that for every part of the music business. I hope not. But I know that because we're writing shorter songs that they're like, well, show us what you got. You know, I guess it's, you do, you, you, it's part of the job. I guess they think they're getting the best product, but I find that like, there's a difference in writing what you know you have and what you think you Mm. might lose. And one is that you're writing something that you know that if it doesn't go final, because everybody no one has the 100% success rate in a pitch, especially when they're blind because they don't, you know, you don't know who is um, competing against you. And you always compete against your friends, by the way, which is cool because, you know, you always go back at the end like, what did you write? What did you write? Um, you're, when you write a pitch, you're writing a pitch so that it sounds like something, one that you can use again. Right. If you're if it doesn't get placed. So you're having so even though it's specific, you can change the lyrics. Right. Of course. Two, you're writing something that like. Is specifically catchy that you feel like it is going to be different from the other pitches that are out there. Whereas when you write on a song that you have been given, you put I think you have to you have to put more effort into it because um it's something that is an actual product. Like there's not going to be a bunch of um, rounds or anything like that where you have to, um, it's just you, it's, you give it what it, what it actually needs for the show. And um, I don't know if, I don't, I don't, I think that the one where you're given it, if you care about it is the one that's going to be the better product, but, but everybody pitches mm. no matter what. So does JP play different instruments on these tracks, like in terms of your production? Yeah. Uh, I I play um, keys. I play um, some accordion, some melodica, some uh, – I'm teaching myself guitar, and, and um, I, pro- I produce in the box, of course. Um, and I do that mostly for Baby Shark. And then um, JP plays um, – he plays a bunch of brass instruments, and he plays specifically – the trombone and um he has a bajillion guitars um on his side and of the he we have two different studios because again we write separately on purpose um he plays the harmonicas he plays he he just picks up instruments which i think is so cool um you know anytime he sees something that you know is in a I, there's a there's a website called pay it forward where you if you're done with something you know you 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 put it out there and and then if somebody wants it or to buy it or to 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 take it they'll 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 do that so he's always like bringing home fun instruments and so now we have a big collection of them cool just so fun so excuse my ignorance but you said i I produce in the box you mean explain (laughs) what you meant by that well especially with the very quick turnaround Mm -hmm. things i have like a in my sessions, um, when I open up Pro Tools, I have, and we always work in Pro Tools, not because it's better, but because it's the 
when there are short deadlines, you have to go into Pro Tools anyway for um, broadcast. So we work in Pro Tools to begin with. I have a thing where I have like MIDI instruments and then live instruments. And I have a set of MIDI instruments and a set of live instruments. And so, um, you know, of course, a lot of things um, recently are synth based. So you have all that will, which will stay, and some of the acoustic instruments will get replaced once they're finalized. Mm-hmm. But um, as a with quick turnarounds, it's always, I uh, um, it's always easier for sure to keep it in the box. So usually we have like live guitars, and we have sometimes we'll hire players, but um, most of the most of the time when it's quick, a very quick turnaround. Um, we have to keep some of it in the box. So in the box, meaning in samples. the computer box. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Not samples, but like uh, MIDI instruments. Okay. Oh, sampled instruments. Yes. So, yeah, I understand. So And synths and things like that. So all those things, but in the, yeah, got it now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We have some cool, like, we have some cool bass sounds, which we replace half the time. But sometimes, like, you want that sound. You want that, you want that in the box sound for, depending if the project calls for mm-hmm. it, of course. And you're always uh, recording many different uh, voices. You manipulate your own voice in when you're producing to get it to go lower or different kind of qualities. Oh yeah, yeah. There's um, we use uh, a an app a, a plugin called um, Mofoder. I think it's called Mofoder. Um, where it is like a we have a few things. We have a talk box where you sing into it and it has like the tube that comes out and you can make that like a um, who does it a lot? Daft Punk like that sound. That like that like a uh, robotic okay. um, vocoded sound, yeah. but we also have this thing called Mofoder. I think it's called Mofoder. I have to check it out. Um, where you'll sing something and you play MIDI notes, and it will it will play the MIDI notes in your voice. So it's meant to sound different. Like a lot of people, when there's not a lot of time, will sing har- one harmony and then move it to to sound like them. I don't particularly do that. But I do um, it for effect, and it's so cool. It sounds like you can really mess with it and really get it to sound however you want it. You can get it to sound like a pad that has word, you know, that has like you could make it sound like words, but also sound like a pad. Or you can make it sound, um, you know, any way you want. You can make it sound like brass. You can make it sound like a crazy synth, and it that is so much fun, especially in backup vocals. Okay. Yeah, just to wrap up about the pitch, I'm just curious. So for young people starting out, like if they don't have this whole production thing that you do, like it's expensive because you're not paid to pitch, right? You have to just... No, you're not paid to pitch, no. But I think it it is important. And I think it's why it's a young person's game to start out when you're young. But, you know, depending on what... It has to be a hobby, right? If you if it's not, because you have to really put a lot of time into it. Um, and you have to put a, t- put a lot of time. But you, but, but the one good thing... It's money, but it's not as much money as it used to be. Um, I tell people who are just starting out, who who are songwriters, that you should have a recording setup because you can't just walk around like playing things for people, and you can't pitch it that way, and you and they won't. Like a lot of times, um, people will not accept a piano vocal because essentially you just it's part of the gig. You have to be a, a producer. You have to be. You have to know a singer that you can hire all the time and pay them, but not get paid for it, you know? Um, and you have to, you have to, you do, you have to produce, you have to mix, you have to, 
um, compose, you have to harmonize, you have to sing, you know, you have to do all the things yourself. So I would say it's really important to have a recording set up. And um, I found some really great products that are cheap, that are, you know, you don't have to go to a studio every time. Like I had a friend that would always go to the studio to, to produce and record and write. And that would be so expensive. So fortunately, I found a um, condenser mic by Blue. I don't know if they make this particular one anymore before, anymore rather. But um, there was a Blue Spark digital mic that was $150. And it sounded nearly as good as this. Mm-hmm. Like it was a fantastic, it's a fantastic um a condenser mic that was that's um, USB powered, and you can record on a tablet. But you, obviously, you need the USB connection. I don't know. Um, I haven't done it in a while, but it was my travel setup for a while. And then you can also get like a fifty dollar keyboard, and you can get a two hundred dollar um, um, computer, and you can work. You, you can't work in GarageBand, but there um, a lot of the the a lot of the programs are like pay by month. They're subscription-based. So if you can, like, get yourself that kind of a setup and just play, just practice and, like, try try to emulate what you hear. Like, one of the ways, one of the things that, that um, we really enjoyed and that kept us up to date um, was when we were, uh, when we were working for Kids Bop. Um, I used to sing for Kids Bop and um, we we also like do Kate's Bob tracks every once in a while. And it's so fun because you literally have to go in and say, what is the producer doing on the drums? What is, the, what are they doing on the synths? How are they played? Are they, are they manipulated in any way? Um, and you, in finding those things in emulating a song that already exists, you can teach yourself production. And that's one thing that like doesn't inherently come because you can't just, you know, you can produce, in a studio and know what you want, but to actually be able to do it in the box, you have to just practice and practice and practice. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, that that's a good way to start. Yeah. I was curious in terms of boundaries with your home life and these tight deadlines, how do you guys manage Mm. to keep it all together? It's harder to do in the summer. I can tell you that. (laughs) Um, No, uh, that when they're in camp and when they're in school, we, it's it's helpful. It's helpful to have deadlines. For me, it's very helpful to have, have deadlines. And those deadlines include being done, you know, one of us being done by 3.30 when they get out of school. Um, we actually, they go to, they go to an after school program sometimes when the, when the work is a lot, especially when we were working last year, we were working on six shows at once. And so that was a lot. And it was constantly like a rush, 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 rush. But those quick deadlines are very helpful because you don't you don't have to you nothing is precious like sometimes your best especially when it comes to pop music sometimes your first idea is your best and you don't know it until you had to accept it you know like you but i think at this point we have a schedule like monday we think about the song and we start with the first item that we love tuesday um the second thing whether it's lyrics like hashing out the lyrics wednesday we do the production thursday we do the background vocals and friday we mix and send um it's helpful to know that you have a deadline so the kids i try to make it so that at that time when they come home for them and mostly for me i 
separate church and state. I go upstairs and I'm done and I can actually walk up the steps. Like it, it, it's helpful to have separation. And that, that goes for like talking about music. JP and I will be like, okay, we're not talking about this. It's great. It's terrible, whatever it is, but we'll talk about it tomorrow at nine o'clock after the kids are in school. And that's, that's, I think that's very important. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's, it's, we love it. And we're both like, want to talk about it all the time because we love music and we love, you know, I love like saying quirky things that are really funny or puns or whatever, or like, oh, that chord change is so cool. Like the key change was so cool, but we stop. We don't, we talk about it tomorrow at nine o'clock. And how are you managing music education for your kids? I mean, they're still young, but have you talked about it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We talk about it a lot because um, my daughter was really, really talented. My son is younger and he walks around singing things all the time. And he literally like, there is no end to him singing. And my mom used to tell, say the same thing about me, that like, I would sing all the time, nonstop. And she'd be like, she never like made fun of me. She never told me to stop or made, you know, like got annoyed by it. But she told me how much it was like crazy as an adult. And I'm like, oh, I thought you liked that. <laughs> like, or not that, you, I'm sorry, more like, I didn't know you heard that. Like, I don't know you care. Like, I, don't know, I didn't know that it, I don't know. I, I wasn't very self um, aware back then, but I know that they're doing that now. And so like, the problem is with kids, when I say, Ella, do you want to, you know, do you want a voice lesson or something? She'll be like, yeah, yeah, cool. But then she'll get there and she'll be like, no, I'm good. I'm going to go play this or that. And um, so we're trying to figure out ways to do it. One thing that helps a lot, like, is that she'll sing around the house and then I'll be like, sounds really good. I'll notice that she'll continue doing it. But there was one time where she was teaching herself to play the... Um, Inside Out theme. Do you know the Pixar movie Inside Out with the characters Joy, um, Sadness? They're all like personified. Yeah. So she was playing the theme, Riley's theme. And I was like, okay, I can't mess this up. (laughs) I'm going to do something. I want to help her, but I'm not going to directly help her because she doesn't like that. And so I took my iPad with the the song on it because I knew I noticed she started to like was starting to slow down a little bit. And I put it there. I was like, here, if you want it. And I walked away. She stopped. <laughs> she knew. She was like, I'm not doing this. She knows I'm doing it. I'm not doing it. Um, I think like as latchkey kids when we were little, we were allowed to just be by ourselves and nobody kind of bothered us. And kids don't get that so much these days. So I'm just try- I'm trying to like stay away um, and let them really enjoy it themselves. But they're all, they're doing it. They're doing it on their own. They're, she's like teaching, like she taught herself things on piano that I didn't know at that time. And she's teaching, and Benny's like, I don't know. He's just, he's really good at like th- making up things that rhyme. And it's all things that like we did as kids, as musical kids that are happening. But I just can't, I don't, I, for some reason I'm not allowed <laughs> Which I understand. I guess I wouldn't want my mom doing that either. Yeah. We have to, like, be sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, both my husband and I are violinists, and, of course, we wanted our kids, you know, to play, and we'd all... I even bought all this, like, four violin music. I thought it would be a thing. <laughs> here, I'll put this here. And what happened? 
Well, our older daughter did play violin for a while and a whole bunch of other instruments, but she said at a certain point, it's pretty hard with you guys being at a certain level and I'm just, you know, it's not for me. And she, she loves music, but she went in a totally different direction creatively. Um, she has a creative career, but not in music. Yeah. And yeah. our younger daughter, I think we're smart enough to let things go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> did they did they pick those book up, books up at any point? Uh, no. I mean, you can tell when kids are doing things to please you and when it's coming from mm. them, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like, I'm gonna... so you meant... But how could... Isn't it difficult as a as a young kid? I mean, I, I guess it's vocally the same thing where you have to pitch it yourself. But like, it, did you put any dots on the violin? Did you do anything to like show them where the pitches were? Did you put one out like and they picked it up or not picked it up or they were just not interested? Oh, I taught them both violin to a certain level. If I mean, I don't mm -hmm. want to get into the pedagogy. Um, I think we need to use our ears and sense of touch. And the trouble is when... Yeah, it's like a whole thing, but yeah. whether we use tape or not. But um, yeah, I won't. I won't get into <laughs> teaching music, but it's um, yeah, it's interesting. I, I think a lot of classical musicians, like myself, they they will listen to a lot of classical music in their home. But my husband and I are not of that ilk because it's just so much. We work in an orchestra, so the kids didn't grow up listening to symphonies. Oh, you know, people make that assumption, right. but no, that's not what was playing on our stereo. Did did you take them to performances? Were they interested in it? They did to a certain extent, but yeah, it's it's a tough one. Yeah. Very tough. Yeah. It's so tough to have like obviously you know and I know having grown up around music, like my dad played in wedding bands, but he loved mu not but and he loved music. So it was always there. And he like, he, it was just like seeping by osmosis. Like, oh, I loved it. And I was listening, you know, you listen to like Linda Ronstadt and um, there's so, so many like, so, like the all Stevie Wonder, like every Stevie Wonder song there ever was. And the Doobie Brothers and, you know, those kinds of things. Or like, remember, I mean, I'm sorry, when I was younger, listening to Carol King, I'm like, oh, that stinks. Why does he listen to that? And 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 I'm like, ah, oh, her voice, like what? But then you listen to it as an adult, and you're like, oh, oh wow, like that's really good. And you you know, you I don't know, like you're just around it all the time, so you do absorb it. But so to teach them, they'll learn to learn anyway, I guess. I hope. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. She's in a choir. Ella's in a choir. Um, Benny, I put it in an acting class because he's always like every day he dresses up as something else. So I'm like, maybe I'll like, you know, maybe he'll, he'll like acting. Um, but at the time he didn't take to it. So I don't, I don't know. I'm really interested to see if they're interested or if they're like totally turned off because they're hearing it all the time. Yeah. So did you have any kind of classical training growing up? Yeah, I, um, I voice lessons. Um, I mean, I did pick up the violin and I really I tried to teach myself violin just because I'm like oh this is fun like I I don't know we didn't have like a lot of money growing up so we you know I wasn't able to be in like anything I wanted um but so my mom was like always you know be the class mom and be able to get the things for free I think I think that's how it worked out um but so I, I couldn't get 
violin lessons. I never asked for them either. But like when I was a little bit older, I rented a violin for 20, for, for two weeks mm-hmm. or three weeks to see if I could get it. And it was like, it was such like a world that like, there are some times where you have to say, okay, enough. Like there's, there's not, you can't, you can't, you know, do deep dives on every hobby that you have. I mean, you can, but you're going to burn out. And like, so anyway, uh, but I did have a, I did, I was part of a choir and the, over the summer, the choir had like a camp and each summer we would get private voice lessons. And I was, um, I got lessons from this amazing soprano. Her name was, her name is uh, Nell Snidus. And she had the most amazing, like, up up here, I got a few different types of voice lessons that were really interesting. The first voice lessons that I got when when I was little, but she taught me how to sing di- like from your diaphragm. But like it, she didn't call it that because we were in fifth grade. She just said, you know, sing from your from your belly and like get the sound out and and like like pull into the emotion and and know it and like sing that way. But then a, a couple of years after that, in this classical in this choir this liturgical choir we're not very religious i just happens to come up a couple times today sorry um but we were taught to to sing up here so my choir teacher my choir teacher would choir teacher would say uh have us go my name is julia child and you know to sing from your from your cheeks from up here and it felt like such two total different worlds but um but she had me sing up there and we would do like La Shakyapyanga and like all these like amazing arias and and um it like there was a while where like I would start we got into John Rudder my my high school we got into John Rudder for classical for cl- classical stuff and to hear it was you know as a kid you know at least as a kid I was I would be like that's so st- stuffy or like that's so this or that and then when you really listen to it you say oh my god like you could see, like, in the evolution of classical music, how it was influenced by jazz and how, how like, the harmonies were changing. And and now, like, it's some of my favorite stuff because it's so... The, just to have so many people playing the same piece of music at once is amazing. Mm-hmm. There's so much room for harmony and there's so much use of it. And the the timbres, like, being able to ch- to, to change, to to have the ability to for the different timbres to each show in one piece of music is so cool. Mm-hmm. So in your role as a coach, often you're working with celebrities. What, what kind of advice are you, or what kind of skills are you working on with them? Uh, as a, there are, there's two different types of vocal coaches. There's a, um, a vo- vocal coach and there's a voice director. I have been a vocal coach. Um, um, there was a couple times where I vocal coached um, Joss Stone in studio, but that's not, it wasn't exactly voice lessons. It was more like vocal, vocal production. So now in a vocal, as a vocal producer, which is very different, I'm just working with people who know what they're doing already. Um, so it's more like making sure, for example, um, making sure that the character still sounds like the character um and f- helping them find a way to make the character in that note or helping them make sure that especially in animated music in animated um series rather when the character is doing 
uh, a sound that their fate their particular their live face is not showing on that sentiment still has to be accurately reflected in their tone or in their um performance or their their um um their the way they sing it so sometimes like they'll it'll they'll want they'll be smiling on the zoom because like, well, new york and la do it over zoom a lot of times they'll be smiling but it won't come out and so you'll you'll have to say like oh put a little bit more smile put an exaggerated smile on that or but a lot of times these people are so good that they are just able to do it so half my job is just writing down best takes okay you know <laughs> and then putting them together and fortunately for our music it's nice to ha to be able to be the person that does the takes um the select takes which is like the best you know the best one so if you do it five times you'll be like okay line one take two line two take four um it's nice to be able to do that mm -hmm. because you know what, that you're going to get what you imagined you would you would get and they know what's best for their character too but um i got to vocal coach uh, cardi b in, when she was doing the seaweed sway and she again same thing like there's no one that could be a better Cardi B than Cardi B. Like I, there, there's nothing I could teach her that she wouldn't, she wouldn't, um, no, like she, she, she's the best version of herself. I'm not, I did her vocal demo, but I'm not, a, you know, I'm, there's nobody that's better than Cardi than Cardi. So she, um, so my job was just to, um, she'll be like, can I do that again? And, or whatever, but also like to, to say this, this word didn't come out for the kids like it sounded like it did. So, you know, making sure that that the words are articulate enough sometimes is, is your job as a vocal coach for kids' music, especially. Yeah, that makes sense. So are, with animated series and, and even puppetry, if there's an illness or someone has a problem with their voice, do they sometimes bring in a sub and then the audience may not know if they're really good at imitating or...? Never, never, never. Not once have I heard that. Okay. The, a lot of times they will, um, that, that is interesting because they could, right? If somebody was really, really good. I heard, I don't remember who it was, but, um, so I, 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 this is, I know this happened with somebody very famous, but I can't remember who it was. Um, someone went to go replace a demo singer's voice. Oh, I know who it was. And I don't think I can tell this. It's, but it's somebody like super, super famous. It's a, a, an animated character in an animated series that's very, 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 very well known. And she went to go replace, because she had, I think she had a cold. She went to re go replace that take. And she'd be like, what's wrong with it? We don't have to replace it. Because a lot of times you'll go back in um, for ADR, which is, I think, automated dialogue. I think that's what it's called auto dialogue recording i don't remember replacement yeah. um so when they have to do it again they'll go in and replace what they did to make it better and she, she's like what's the matter with that one that one's so good and the person's like well that wasn't you <laughs> which is funny because like as a as an animated character like everybody can has a version of like you know, Al Pacino that they think they can do really well, or like Matthew McConaughey, like that they, they, they think they can do really well. So plenty of people rehearse, you know, like do it like that. That being said, and this is off topic, so forgive me, but there are characters when you're doing their demos that absolutely do not want you to sound like them. Mm. And then there are other characters that really do want you to sound like them. So for example, um, 
my first character that I ever wrote for was Elmo. And someone, someone had like taken me to the side. He's like, just so you know, Kevin, who was uh, Kevin Clash was playing Elmo at the time. He does not want you to sound like Elmo because like, imagine hearing people's, I don't know if he thought they were bad, but like people's impressions of you over and over and over again. Like it must sound so, for lack of a better term, disrespectful. Like, mm. but it, it's not, it's meant, it's meant with love, but. And then there are other characters that are like, you have to sound like them so that they know what to do. Mm-hmm. So are there well-known characters you can do at the drop of a hat? <laughs> like now? Um, I think I can in my head, but um, let me see. Who do I have? I have, oh, over the, hold on. I can, I can show you the difference between new Elmo and old Elmo. <laughs> I'm not, again, I don't sound like them, just so you know, but. Old Elmo, old Elmo used to have this like thing where... Wait, he had like a New York accent, but I don't really, again, I'm not very good at it. I just know it in my head. And then new Elmo has like a little bit of like, he's a little more street smart, I think. Um, the the way that Ryan plays him, <laughs> like a little bit more street smart. So um, new Elmo is a little bit, he sounds exactly the same in tone. Mm-hmm. So like he really has it. And you really have to just be listening to it every day to know that it's not exactly the same. But he really like, I don't think anybody knew when old Elmo and new Elmo switched. But new Elmo is a little bit more like this. And he has a little bit of like, he has like an almost like an edge. It's so funny to listen to him because I love new Elmo's like, he plays things like a little bit wiser. <laughs> so fun to listen to no i don't have any good impressions but in my head like when i write for the characters i know what they're going to sound like which is the reason i don't try to sound like them a lot of the times well we started with um friends with penguin and we don't walk alone so one of your your roles as a creator is is kind of expressing emotions for kids that maybe they didn't know they had Hmm. maybe you could speak to that. that that's something really important to me and um as a as an underscore as a, an underscore composer as well, um, especially within kids' music. I, um, JP does a lot of the underscoring for, for series, so um, I don't do as much of it, but we don't walk alone and friends with the pen. There's so many that, especially in Sesame Street specifically, Sesame Street is so brilliant at it um, because their lyrics are never what you think. Like if, if we wrote the song a different way, you would never know what the song is about. And I think having a melody, it's it's a very, it's a, a little bit complex. So forgive me if it's not really making sense, but I'll just tell you. Um, when you write a melody for a very complex song, like a song, we wrote a song about divorce um, when Abby's mom and dad, she was talking about them being divorced and having big feelings about it. Uh, the song was called Big, big Feelings and the We Don't Walk Alone and um, there's a, Friends with a Penguin was the, the, I'll talk about that separately, but just talking like musically how this works, your melody has to be a child's melody. So they have to be able to sing it because if they're thinking about it, it's like when a child dreams or plays, how they're playing the, they're playing simply, but they're playing because they're having such big feelings. Like when, um, my kid, my soon-to-be kindergartner plays school. Like, he's worried about it. So 
you'll see that the character it's like play therapy right like the kid the characters do the things um that you're worried about so the melody has to be a kid's melody but the things behind it um project the feelings that you really want you know the the feelings the real things um and so when you have a complex song it's important to like empathize with the child what they're actually feeling those feelings they don't have words for and they don't even maybe know they're having like sometimes in in play like a kid will be jealous but they don't know what it is so they'll think it's like that the person is taking something from them or something we we don't walk alone started with um it was supposed to be gun violence and so lyrically the child could only talk about how he's feeling alone but he's not talking about grief per se and not out loud but in the music feels just like I told you about like how we made the the beginning of this song like like you don't have a center like you don't know where we're not I'm not grounded anymore like I was but I'm not and 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 feeling alone and they can't talk about it but they can say I relate to this sound this sonic landscape I I I like I connect to that and I don't know why but it they don't have to know why they just they have to let the music, which could be in another language sometimes, like, you know, it doesn't, it could be made up syllables. But if they know that that's what they're feeling, it's almost like you can musically take them into a place where you feel grounded and you can tell them why with a simple, a simple melody, you know? And so um, that was, that was that one. And Friends with the Penguin was like a, another interesting one because it's obviously about seeing a, I mean, I think it's seeing about see, seeing a, a trans kid or um, a, a person who's like displaying a gender that is not there, that, that is not what you would expect to see a, a child like that. And that's like, um, it's, it's a, it, in for that, it wasn't supposed to be, you know, you don't really can, we're not trying to connect with the confused feelings because we're trying to tell the kid like, hey, all you got to do is say hi. That's it. Just say hi. Like, that's how to do it. So it's more like that was more like a this is how to do it instead of I, I empathize with you. And, and well, you know, because that's grief is there's no answer for that. There's you, you have to sit with it. Um, but with for um, for friends with a penguin, it, it was like, I'm going to I'm going to celebrate just like just inter the introduction that's all it is because after that this this kid is not a stranger anymore this kid is a person and that's you know the answer uh, most of the time that's the answer to kids um um noticing that people are not like them at around age four i think they say that kids start to realize that other kids are not like them um that you know that's the answer to four-year-old um noticing you you just say you have to know that they're people right which it sounds silly but you have to just know somebody and that's it you just say hi and every you know that's then you start playing together that you know that's all that's kind of all it takes at four really uh beautifully said well thanks so much kat for for sharing your perspectives today really appreciate it of course leah thank you so much for um having me on the show and and and, and chatting about all this stuff because it's I don't know. I guess I guess people 
people don't, you know, know all, all of those things about like how the industry works and, you know, things like that. So it's nice to like talk about it. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's such a fascinating variety to life and music. And this series features wonderful musicians worldwide with in-depth conversations and great music with over 100 episodes to explore. Many episodes feature guests playing music spontaneously as part of the episode or sharing performances and albums. I hope that the inspiration and connection found in a meaningful creative life, the challenges faced, and the stories from such a diversity of artists will draw you into this weekly series with many topics that will resonate with all listeners. Please share your favorite episodes with your friends and do consider supporting this independent podcast. The link is in the description. Have a great week.